This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. You know, I think as I was meditating on the story of Christ, everything's so tangible, right? In the Gospels, you can almost like feel the dirt. (laughs) And especially, you know, end of Jesus's life where he takes a basin and a towel and he washes his disciples' feet before the Lord's Supper. Those were actual towels and basins and water. And there's so many metaphors, right, that Jesus uses that are very tactile, right? Agricultural things and nets and pearls of great price and wheat and yeast and all of these things matter, right? If Jesus became small and he entered into creation, he took on our human limits, our actual material world actually really matters. And so I think there's an opportunity for us to see the objects in our life as like Ebenezer's in the Old Testament, you know, usage talks about that these Ebenezer's, right, were these stacked rocks would, you know, as the people passed through uh, the waters were to remind the people, like you could see them, that God had rescued his people. And I think besides just the Lord's Supper, there are things in our own personal stories that I can conserve as Ebenezer's, right? It was reminders, things we can hold on to and touch. If you have found yourself exhausted by hustle and hurry, or maybe the pandemic has actually opened up some space in your life and you're wondering how you hold on to that when the world feels like it is spinning out of control, well, welcome to A Spacious Life. I am here to help you connect those dots between that sense of spaciousness that you crave and your actual busy or frazzled life. And this week, it's really fun because my friend, Laura Fabricki, who is the author of Keys to Bonhoeffer's House, interviews me. We've switched the microphones and I get to answer all the questions. So friends, welcome into A Spacious Life. Welcome to the Finding Holy Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Hales, author of A Spacious Life. I love big ideas, but ideas have to move beyond an ivory tower to find their application in the midst of our work and our laundry routines. Here on the Finding Holy Podcast, expect conversations about how to live faithfully in a post-Christian world, but without the vitriol, posturing, or shouting across the aisles. In each conversation, you'll get to hear my guests' wisdom, their laundry routine, and for this season, also their hustle habit. Let's find holy together. All right, this is really fun, guys. I'm on the other end of the microphone today. My friend, Laura Fabricki, is interviewing me about my book, A Spacious Life. So hooray, it's so fun to have Laura here. And I'm going to turn it over to Laura. (laughs) It is really great to be with you, Ashley. And of course, I am celebrating with you the release of your book. Or, you know, just coming out, A Spacious Life, Trading Hustle and Hurry for the Goodness of Limits out with IVP University Press. Congrats. Thank you. Yeah. I have a lot of questions for you, probably more than we have time for, but I definitely want to hear about how this book 
germinated. I want to hear about the conditions of its soil, where it came about. I loved reading it. I felt like it hit me in a really good place in my life. I think there's going to be a lot of people that are going to connect with its message. And we get taste throughout the book of some of the personal constraints that you were living with, I think, as the idea formed and as you were writing. Mm-hmm. But it also happened to coincide with a global pandemic. It <laughs> right. we're all placed under profound constraints, sometimes varying in different places. I want to hear about how this book came about and was the pandemic on your radar already? You know, when I first kind of conceived of the book, I remember talking with my agent and we were just laughing over dinner at a, at a conference back when conferences used to happen. <laughs> and we were talking about this idea about, you know, this idea of being unlimited and how often even in kind of the Christian self-help market or religious self-help or even just generic self-help, the messages that we get are you need to be unlimited, right? And that you know, that really that what we need to do for our, our happiness and our worth is to like look within ourselves and find this sort of pixie dust of who we are and then like spread that pixie dust around. And, you know, the good life is built on hustle and washing your face anyway. So, <laughs> and I just was so angered by that because that is not the message of Jesus at all. So it kind of started with that frustration that I saw, and I wanted to kind of pick apart all of those messages. And what really happened, though, is as I wrote the book, my editors came back and were like, you know what, we really need more of you in this book. And I think I realized through that process of putting my own story in it and remembering both myself, particularly as a young mother um, and as now as a middle-aged woman, that these constraints are something that are actually invitations. And I realized, especially as I was finishing up the book during the pandemic, like we don't need more arguments right now. Like if anything, we need a gentle invitation into the kind ways of Jesus. We can't handle like so much pulling apart. I mean, we already see that all over the internet these days. Everything has been made bigger and blown up and we don't know how to interact very well (laughs) anymore. And so the pandemic really changed the tone, I think, as I worked through writing the book. So that message of constraints, not just can be where somehow we might just mentally reframe our mindset to make constraints into invitations, but that they actually are invitations. How do you, I mean, that I think might sound even offensive to some people. Like how could that possibly be? And there's nothing in your book, I think that that speaks to kind of like naivete about, you know, that kind of girl, just wash your face. Like you right. just need to have like a, you know, a chirpier attitude or, um, or just be positive. How do we hold our constraints and see them as, as what you're saying they are as invitations? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I think it's so hard because everything we, we hear, you know, in social media and the news, what have you is kind of like keep pushing past those constraints and those limitations. Like you need to be uncaged and like what what really that tells us though is that we have to keep creating these various identities for ourselves and that also the goalposts of what looks like worth or success or happiness continually move back because they're always going to be redefined Mm -hmm. and so I think when we actually realize 
that the freedom narrative that we live in in the West, that basically our freedom is some sort of unlimited autonomy when we believe that that, when we actually see that that's exhausting and that actually enslaves us, I think then we can begin to at least consider, huh, I wonder if some good guardrails here will actually help me to flourish better. Yes. And not only to rage against the guardrails that we can identify in our lives, right? but actually see them as things that might help us to have a better understanding of our own sense of self, our identity, and then actually what our responsibilities are in this right. world. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. otherwise we're going to be spread really thinly. We're going to be doing, you know, we're just going to be responding to the urgent. We won't be actually living from a deep sense of peace or purpose. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, I, I mean, you've, you've already touched on it. And this is definitely one of my questions that you, you really plumb a paradox where there's real tension between sort of the Western kind of lived philosophy of freedom means freedom from constraints mm-hmm. rather than freedom for people or freedom mm-hmm. for love or whatever it is, freedom for commitments. Mm-hmm. So obviously this is a place where the gospel of Jesus Christ collides with the West. I guess, let me, let me put it this way. And I'm going to actually, I'm going to name drop a person here who might not be familiar to some of your listeners, but it was an Old Testament professor that I had in seminary. Her name is Judy Fentress Williams, wonderful scholar. And she introduced me to the idea of the, or in our class, to the, to the Israelites wandering in the wilderness as a time of intimacy and dependency with God. I had always heard of the, I had always conceived of the wilderness as punishment and Mm -hmm. like a great, like a great wandering of displeasure. I think a lot of us see our, our constraints as places where God is either disappointed or he's punishing us or somehow this is, we have to learn from it in order to escape it. That's a really different message than an invitation. What do you, what, how do you respond to that? Yeah, no, I think that's really wise. Often we don't really get the invitation until we've missed it. <laughs> Unfortunately, you know, I think in my own life, a lot of those early mothering years and um, I have four kids and they're six years apart, roughly. So lots of babies all at the same time. And just, you know, feeling very much like I am not living this life that I was supposed to. I'm working on a PhD and like I'm spending all my time changing diapers and not sleeping and I can't use my brain because I'm not sleeping. And so what am I good for? Right. And, and to, I wish someone had helped me to help kind of see the seasonality of, of that time a little bit better and, and to realize, okay, these limits are meant for you to learn how to abide with Christ. Cause sometimes like we were talking about earlier, you have to just go through, right? You can't, yeah. it's not like the bear hunt. You can't go around it, under it, over it. You have to go through it. Yes. And I think the beautiful invitation of our limits is for those who are Christ followers is that we get to press into Jesus in those yeah. moments. And that the point is intimacy with Christ. The point is not circumstances magically change. Yes. There are some things that you identify for us that are in some ways concepts that you're wanting to kind of reintroduce as part of that invitation. Mm-hmm. And, and I want to name a couple of them and just have, and just kind of walk through it. You have sure. some really interesting 
first of all, you talk about, let's go to early motherhood where early parenting, um, where people are, that's when you really start to taste how much you need sleep and how little you're going to (laughs) get. Yeah. (laughs) And you actually, you talk about rest in this book. And I think for many people, no matter whether you're parenting or not, I think rest often feels like it's something you know that you need. You absolutely crave it at times, but it feels almost impossible to get. Mm-hmm. Um, and but you you frame rest as part of the invitation, and also as sort of like a, a way to subvert this the hustle narrative and the self invention narrative. So talk mm-hmm. to us about rest. And actually, I want to quote you before you talk. Let me quote you before you quote yourself. This is the line <laughs> I love on this subject. We accept that we are incapable of doing for ourselves what sleep provides. There's something in in sleeping and in resting that we Mm -hmm. literally have to sort of cede control Mm -hmm. in order to receive what it can give us. Mm -hmm. I I loved that. It was such an insight. Yeah. You know, James Brian Smith talks, I think it's him, talks about, you know, sleep is a declaration of trust which I think is beautiful, right? And there's so many Psalms that we could turn to where, you know, the psalmist is like, is realizing that sleep is putting himself in the care of God. You know, we can't, and we can't like figure out by willing it, you know, how to re whatever cellular things happen and then our brain repairing itself and all of those bodily processes during sleep, we can't control those. And so I think even just choosing to prioritize sleep, um, Granted, there's, you know, if you're working overnight shifts or you have to, you're a caretaker, whether that's a parent or to aging parents and you're not able to sleep, you know, your eight hours or whatever. It's not to say that we can't actually choose restful activities and try to prioritize sleep. They just might look a little different in different seasons. And I think it's just so helpful because often we tend to view sleep as like we think of ourselves as machines and we think of sleep, like plugging in our iPhone um, Mm -hmm. to charge overnight. And so we sleep in order to work harder and to be more productive. It's kind of this thing that we have to do. Um, And yet the beautiful story of the gospel, like Jesus sleeps on a boat, right? When there's a storm raging because he doesn't have anything to prove. And I think, you know, as we practice some of these things, as we hear the invitation and, you know, do something like I'm going to put my phone away at eight o'clock at night. I'm not going to look at screens anymore. After that, I'm going to take a bath or read a book or, you know, just something small to begin to prepare our bodies to see sleep as a gift can be hugely transformative, even though they're really pretty ordinary. Absolutely. And, and that it is something that we, I, I'm actually not remembering whether it was Eugene Peterson or someone quoting Eugene Peterson, but talking about sleep as the first thing that we do in a day Mm -hmm. in in terms of like mapping out like the Jewish conception of a day that begins at dusk. And so we actually begin our day with rest. Mm -hmm. as like the thing that we first receive. And then we do sort of the second half of the day awake. Right. 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 And, um, and Sabbath too, right. You know, that, that Sabbath is how we begin. We begin in rest. We, you know, we begin in grace. We don't actually like work to earn the grace or the rest. Right. That's right. Putting, putting the, the stress on the right syllable in terms of yeah. that. Yeah, absolutely. Like that. So you, you talk about rest and then you also have some fabulous insights about play and, and some of the risk that comes with play and how mm-hmm. play is, you use the word subversive with, re, with respect to play and how, well, how, first of all, I guess, 
rest seems like, okay, fine. We, we know we have to plug ourselves in. Right. Play <laughs> seems even, even more risky. Like yeah. how do you actually, when you are kind of living in what often can feel like for many people, a grind of life where the only option does seem to be hustle and hurry, how do you make space for play? How do you make space for play, Ashley Hales? Yeah, well, thank and, you. And, and what have you observed, for instance, I know like you observe your kids at play and mm-hmm. the witness that they bear to you. Mm-hmm. Um, t- talk to us about play. Yeah. And- you know, I think it's so important because play, it not only subverts like the psych that we are good as humans if we're like part of the cycle of production and escape, it also kind of subverts our own kind of take ourselves too seriously um, as adults. And I think that's so helpful because, you know, if our deepest identity as Christ followers is as children, then we have to do some things that feel childlike and maybe even as a discipline because it might not come quite as naturally when we are no longer actually children or, you know, actually uh, kids anyway. So, you know, I'm. Tr- I, one thing we did just recently in a kind of discussion on a rule of life um, here at our church in Colorado, we we kind of made a list of things that bring you delight as, wow. as a way to do that, and that was so fun. I I realize a lot of people might not even know how to connect to those kind of list of delightful things or or practices but I think that's a really good way to start because I think play is going to look different for different people and you know if you are a parent it is helpful if you have small children to watch children at play um, to be ministered and witnesses to their play to participate in play with them but even if you're not I think even just starting with a, a delight list is a great exercise to figure out what play looks like for you because it could look really active it could be individual it could be corporate it could you know um but maybe even like you know put it on your calendar be like I'm gonna play and you know dance in your kitchen or something absolutely like reconnecting with things not because of some kind of end that they would bring you that might be productive or right right dancing something, but just because it brings you delight. Um, Wow. That would be definitely entering into a kind of of mental rest as well. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be like an all day activity too. You can do it for like five minutes. Yeah, absolutely. Are you looking for something that's going to help you connect the dots between what you say you believe and how you live? Well, I've created pocket practices just for you. They are about 50 spiritual formation practices that you can take anywhere and you can get them free for a limited time. When you pre-order a copy of A Spacious Life, head on over to aspacious.life, enter in your email and you will get those pocket practices as a free download anytime between now and September 13th. This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At Bow, we believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, or do you lead a small group, teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. 
Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, Bow offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. Okay, let's now talk about objects. So you actually have a couple, I think you you treat, you you, you talk about the question of objects in a couple different places in your book. Mm -hmm. Both about well, I want to hear. I want to hear you talk about instant instant pots and also about ornaments. Those are the two objects I'd love to hear you talk about, and how those have have kind of shaped your understanding of what a spacious life in the midst of great constraints mean. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So this is related to formation and memory, as I yes. understand. Yes, yes. Memory. You know, I have two kind of lengthy stories or kind of analogies about both of those objects about instant pots and Christmas ornaments um, on our tree. And I think, you know, I think as I was meditating on the story of Christ and everything is so tangible, right? In the gospels, you can almost like feel the dirt (laughs) and especially, you know, end of Jesus's life where he takes a basin and a towel and he washes his disciples feet before the Lord's supper. Like those were actual towels and basins and water. And there's so many metaphors, right. That Jesus uses that are very tactile, right. Agricultural things and nets and pearls of great price and wheat and yeast and all of these things matter, right? If Jesus became small and he entered into creation, he took on our human limits, like our actual material world actually really matters. And so I think there's an opportunity for us to see the objects in our life, not as like magical sources or something, but as like Ebenezer's and the Old Testament, you know, usage talks about like that these Ebenezer's, right, were these stacked rocks would, you know, as the people passed through uh, the waters were to remind the people, like you could see them that God had rescued his people. And I think besides just the Lord's supper, there are things in our own personal stories that I can conserve as Ebenezer's, right? It was reminders, things we can hold on to and touch. And so I think it's helpful for us on one hand to see we are formed by objects like the instant pot that basically tells us like we can get a meal that should take eight hours and 30 minutes or our phones and like being addicted to social media, thinking that we can be everywhere at once and unlimited and omniscient and knowing all things as we flit about Twitter and Instagram. <laughs> you know, and so, I mean, in some ways, those those, of course, are convenient and helpful, but often we have found that convenience doesn't equal meaningful in any good sense. So there are objects, I think, that have the potential to malform us. And then mm-hmm. there are objects that I hope are kind of signposts of redemption. And so you'll, I talk about choosing a Christmas ornament with our good friends, Jason and Carla Reed up in the mountains. And I'm going to have Carla later on the podcast so you can hear a little bit of our story. But this kind of object was supposed to kind of symbolize 
our friendship of eight years and our combined ministry for five years before we both were moving away from that the, our ministry positions and in that place and just realizing you know objects can't they can't hold the weight <laughs> of mm-hmm. what we want them to symbolize and yet they can still be memories and markers that helps us kind of retell the story of grace in our lives as you know for a Christmas ornament that comes out once a year you can remember your travels you can remember you know your kids when they were young and whatever you know popcorn thing that you've stuck in a box for 18 years (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I think they're you know they're invitations if we will slow down enough to 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 pay attention yeah and the, what I'm hearing too is some, the things that often promise us a form of spaciousness often actually don't. They mm-hmm. might actually, they actually might limit us more than we realize. But the mm-hmm. things that we might we might actually experience as a limiting thing actually mm-hmm. help us to get deeper, help us to explore places where where God has been with us, has provided and mm-hmm. and guided, and and that those can be things that we can hold on to in our. Mm-hmm. In Mm-hmm. And, and how critical that is. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is another, I think this is one of the, well, there's a number of very prophetic things that you say in this book. This one, I think was, this This hit me powerfully, narrating the church as the community of freedom. You, I said, I'm, I'm reading through the book, this for me touched a nerve that in some ways, I think we try to ignore the pain of it, but it's places where I think our church has been more formed by sort of the, I, guess I called it the Western living theology and not by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. It's a real cultural fault line for us. And let me just, again, quote you. It's an extended quote. The freedom that Christ offers is a collective freedom. He has come to prepare to marry his bride, the church. We have lost something when we've made the Christian life all about going to heaven when we die and about an individual experience of God. And then you go on to say that Jesus is knitting us together as living stones. And when he offers us the spacious life, it's a spacious life in the constraints of community and not just that we get self-actualized or that we get our individual desires fulfilled, but we're actually being asked to live within those communal constraints. And mm-hmm. that's the bride that he's preparing. Right. That is, that's a big countercultural and prophetic word right there. Mm-hmm. How do we live into that? Community is hard and people are frustrating. <laughs> For sure. People are frustratingly human and themselves. And <laughs> I will admit, I mean, I will admit, I would, I am much more tempted. I, I would much prefer to live just this individualized life with Jesus than yeah. life with Jesus with others. Mm-hmm. You know, I love the image of the idea that, you know, we are being built together into a house, you know, with Jesus as the cornerstone. And you think of like the rocks to fit together, they can't just like be their own rock nest. <laughs> you know, they have to be shaped to be able to like be useful. You know, the Proverbs talk about as iron sharpens iron. And there's a lot of rubbing off of hard edges that happens in community. But I think it really goes back to that freedom discussion that Freedom isn't simply freedom from constraints. It's for something. It's for love. Paul talks about it's for freedom that you've been set free. And 
the idea then isn't like we've been set free to like go and figure out and self-actualize our own, you know, amazing lives of upward mobility. It's, you know, not only that we've been set free from sin, but then we are to be like, like God did with Abraham, a blessing to the nations that our freedom, our set being set free means that then we go and help others be set free. But yes, that requires a ton of constraints. Um, it requires constraints in our time, our attention, our love, our desires. That's that's the deal. <laughs> you know, if we trust yeah. that, you know, like if we trust that there's no way around it, you know, if we trust that that's actually, that the Bible is true and that Jesus is good, then we can't abandon the church. And it doesn't mean we stay in toxic, you know, abusive systems by any means, but it also means, you know, that we submit ourselves to leadership you know, and the leader's going to have his or her own issues and problems and history and emotional immaturity. It, you know, it means that some of the limits that we, that we put on our time, you know, like whether it's volunteering to do nursery or set up chairs or, or, you know, helping out might not be our thing. And I think there's a, a false idea often when we talk about a spacious life or limits that, it just means that I get to say no to everything and I only do what pleases me or, or me and Jesus. I would hate for people to think that we can get to the spacious life without also probably a lot of pain and conflict too. I mean, that that is part of how we as rocks, right, are, are shaped and molded. Yeah, absolutely. And finding the ways in which in which the Lord is is in fact forming us into his church. Mm-hmm. Yes. And trusting him to do it. I right. think is yeah, part of part of the task as well. Right. Your this is related and I know our time is drawing short. So we have fears that I think that you explore that lie at the foundation of our hustle and hurry. And you mm-hmm. identify them really as fears about identity. And, and kind of who we are, who we're, who we're known by, who we're known as. And you connect this, I think, really powerfully to how we understand our own sense of purpose and mission. And this is obviously related to the church. Mm-hmm. When the church is being formed in, you know, in its earliest days in Acts. And th- there was like a dramatically new understanding of what it meant to be a community. Mm-hmm. that had conflict probably built right into it because it's mm-hmm. like all these different ethnic groups, different languages, people can't understand one another. Talk about needing sure. to, to soften some of these hard edges. Mm-hmm. And here's another Hales quote. Maybe you've thought of purpose and mission like identity as something to achieve instead of to receive. And I loved this line too. Our limits help us get curious about what God is already doing. They form the contours of doing good and faithful work because they help us continually pay attention to God. The constraints that we experience, the limits that we have, help us to get curious both about God and about others. How have you, Ashley Hales, experienced Jesus bringing you to the end of your rope? And what happened when you reached it? And what was the community like that you experienced when you got to it? Mm -hmm. You know, definitely when my husband stepped down from his role as church planter in, it was September of 2020, part of that was that we realized that with the pandemic and all of that, that 
we we recognized we'd hit a limit and that that limit was an invitation to actually step away from our church planting work um, because we realized we had five more years with our oldest son before he went off to, to college and the rate at which we were moving became untenable for us as a family. And so to, to courageously name that limit, it felt a lot like I was, we were so sure that that's, that God had called us a step back, but we had no idea what he had called us towards. And mm-hmm. usually I felt like in all of our other kind of chapters of our lives, we've had real clear sense of God calling us forward. And here we were just kind of invited to wait, but it was a beautiful time. We had about seven months before he found his next pastoral job. We had some dear friends who let us stay in their home and it was a beautiful respite, even though it was crazy and homeschooling for children and all of that. But, you know, to see that God provided financially, um, we were able to sell our house. Someone had lent us a house that we could spend time with our children and family and local friends was a gift that then helped us say, you know, God is actually trustworthy. He's actually good. (laughs) And sometimes we don't feel that goodness or that goodness feels like darkness. But in that moment, it felt like kind of like we were just being held, you know, out over the edge of a cliff a little bit, but we were held. (laughs) We felt both like we both felt like, you know, there's some danger in falling here, but we also felt really secure. And, you know, it became, you know, how to I how do I live into this limit? You know, obviously at various points we got angry and freaked out and felt despairing, but to say, okay, you know, as doors opened and closed that, okay, you, God is our act is the supreme actor, really, right? God is writing the story and we get to kind of be tucked under the wing, under his wings, going where the spirit goes. Our friend, Jen Pollock, Michelle was just recently telling me about a quote she heard at her MFA residency about from Hildegard Bending and about being a feather on the breath of God. And I was like, oh, that's such a beautiful image. And, and I definitely have resonated with that. And so it's kind of like being curious then, what does God have for me in this day? What does God have for me in this season? Instead of hustling and manufacturing things is yeah. kind of a gift. That is a, it's a fabulous quote with two uh, affiliations with two fabulous women. <laughs> yes. Uh, Michelle and Hildegard von Bingen. Yeah. There are two observations that I'd like to make, and one of them is from something that we had talked about before we started recording, and that is your approach to this book is you're you're kind of having a, a, a more intentional approach in terms of how you're talking about this book, how you're thinking about this book, how you're bringing the book's message into the world. The other observation that I want to make for your listeners is that um, similarly to this conversation, your book is full of wonderful quotes from some really wise writers and thinkers, theologians, observers, and um, which I think you've done just a masterful job of of calling those from what I think is probably a very nearly limitless sea of probably (laughs) content to choose from. And I think it's like finding the constraints. um, Mm -hmm. You've done a really good job with that. But tell us also about how you're even just approaching sharing this book with the world and some of the kind of intentional constraints that you're you're actually deciding to live with. Yeah, well, a lot of it, I think, is, you know, when a book is born and is coming out, you know, everyone's like, you have to do everything, right? You show up for all the podcasts and write all the articles and 
be everywhere and to realize it would be really <laughs> inauthentic uh, <laughs> to, to be, you know, hustling and hurrying my way through, uh, you know, this process. And so I know that there are seasons, right, where we have busier seasons and, you know, where work or family life demand more of us. And it's not to say that living in our limits means like we're always sitting around eating chocolate and, you know, hanging out and getting 12 hours of sleep a night. But it is to say that there is a sense in which we can approach our work with this kind of internal cathedral of spaciousness uh, inside ourselves because we are rooted in who Jesus says we are. And so we can go about our work and we can say yes and no in ways that are not full of hustle and hurry. Really hustle and hurry can be states of the soul, um, maybe more than even what's on our calendar. And so I am hopeful and prayerful that the book is an invitation to people and it's a good reminder for myself as well. I've also created pocket practices as just a little on the go companion to help bridge that gap between maybe even what we read and what we experience. And so those, those have been a helpful tool, even for myself. That's perfect. Well, again, congratulations on the book. I love the prayers that you crafted in it. There's, there's a lot to plumb here. So I, I really wish it well. And thanks so much for uh, talking with me on your podcast. <laughs> yes. And thank you for your good questions. It's fun to be on the other end. <laughs> Gladly. <laughs> Friends, that was so fun. I love good questions and Laura is excellent at asking them. I encourage you to pick up a copy of her book linked in the show notes. And today is launch day for a spacious life, trading hustle and hurry for the goodness of limits. I would be so honored if you picked up a copy of this book or picked up an extra copy to give to a friend, someone you know who needs the kind invitation of Jesus to simply be a human and embrace God's good, God-given limits in his or her own life. You can pick them up wherever books are sold, and it is an honor to walk this journey with you. Well, this season, I am inviting my listeners into a practice I call pocket practices. And pocket practices are kind of these three by five cards I've created that go along with the content of a spacious life so that you can not only read about it and know what a spacious life might look like, but actually practice it. They're perfect to keep in your car. They're wonderful to read alongside your Bible or any quiet time that you might be able to steal throughout your day. I'd encourage you to go ahead and grab some. They're at aspacious.life. One of our pocket practices that we'll practice right now, especially when you feel overwhelmed, is to name what is overwhelming. So if you're feeling a little overwhelmed right now, simply list off Maybe you're in your car or you're out in a run. What is it that's overwhelming? Try to put a shape around it. Does it feel like a mighty cityscape? Does it feel like a circle? And you can draw a boundary around those overwhelming things. Maybe it's a particular day of the week. And so your shape looks maybe like your calendar on your iPhone. Put a shape around it so you can visualize it. Make a list. Pray through it. Imagine that shape and ask Jesus to meet you inside that shape. Maybe it's your calendar square. Maybe it's a circle. Maybe it feels as vast as a city. And imagine yourself in that place and that Jesus has opened a door and he's come in to meet you in it. 
friends, it takes great courage to not run to your phone or a sugary treat or Netflix or social media, so many things to try to push off that feeling of overwhelm. But I invite you to visualize it, to imagine Jesus entering that space with you and that he shares in it with you. We have a God who is with us, and I pray you'll be able to experience some of that withness. Now, I know we all want some practical steps, so I would encourage you to order a copy of A Spacious Life. And besides just getting the book, if you head to my website at aspacious.life, you'll be able to take your hustle habit quiz, you'll be able to get a roadmap for your hustle habit, and you'll be able to get those pocket practices. Go to aspacious.life for more. And if you've already read the book or experienced some of this on the podcast, I'd encourage you to do two things. Leave a review and rate this podcast on iTunes or, or and if you're really exceptional, go to amazon.com or wherever you have purchased A Spacious Life and leave a two-sentence review. I would love it. I am so excited to see men and women live into their limits as the good guardrails of love. Let's go on this journey together. Remember friends, big things matter, but so does your laundry. This episode was brought to you in part by the Table Podcast at Dallas Theological Seminary. Listen to rotating hosts discuss issues of God and culture to demonstrate theology's relevance in everyday life. Find it on your podcast app. For videos and more, visit dts.edu podcast.